I remember some time ago talking to a, a, a young man who, who was just flabbergasted that, that I was a pastor and actually believed in the Bible. He said, how can you believe there's a God? Hasn't science basically disproven that there's a God? And, and how can you possibly believe in the Bible, in Scripture? Because it, it is. It's just a bunch of fables and fairy tales, and they're so full of contradictions. And how it's written thousands of years ago by people who have had no clue what's really going on in the universe. And here we are today where we know so much more. How could any intelligent, thinking person today possibly believe in Scripture. You've come across people like that. How, how do you respond to them? What, what, are, what are we to make of this? We're in a series on the letter to the Hebrews. In fact, turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, 12 through 16. We're going to unpack a, a passage of Scripture, Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. And we're actually not sure who wrote this book or this letter to the Hebrews. It's a rather long letter. We know written by a well-educated Jew because he refers to the Old Testament a lot, and only someone who is well-educated. In fact, some of the it's originally written in Greek. Some of the Greek is very sophisticated, some of the best literary Greek in the New Testament. So it's obviously an educated, most likely Jewish person. And and he is writing, and we presume he. It could, in theory, even be a she. In fact, it's interesting that some scholars over the years have tried to make a case that it was actually Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, if you remember from the book of Acts, this uh, Jewish Christian couple that, that were very persuasive and very educated. And some try to make a case that it was Priscilla, but really, it's a guess. We have to say we don't know who the author is. But the author... He or she is writing to Jewish people who had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, promised in the Old Testament. And so they are Jewish Christians. And this letter, this book we call it, is 13 chapters long, and it's basically an exhortation. It is an encouragement. It is a warning to the people. It seems that some of these Jewish Christians were in danger of falling away from Jesus Christ. They were thinking about abandoning their faith in Jesus, in believing that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. They were tempted to go back to their Judaism. And there was tremendous pressure from their Jewish friends who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Some of them were struggling with doubts. And we know from reading the letter, some of them had even, because of the persecution and the peer pressure, some of them had even lost their jobs, lost their homes. Some had even been thrown into prison. So there's all this pressure. And so all this doubt and all this pressure, is Jesus true? Here I have given up my whole comfortable life and my whole social network to follow Jesus. And now I'm wondering, how do I know? Is, can I really trust that Jesus is the Messiah? Or maybe my faith in this gospel is completely misplaced. So in our text today, the author talks to us about the Word of God and how they can trust it. So let, let, let's jump in here. Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. In fact, what I'd like to do right now is just briefly hit the pause button before we read Scripture and, and get into this um, and just pause for prayer. 
because right now, I want you to know, we have so many great things that have been going on this summer, and going on, some have just happened, some are happening now, and some are going to happen this week. I was just talking to Rick Hoeksema, one of our prayer warriors, uh, before first service. Uh, We have a handful of our guys going off to Bill Glass Prison Ministry this coming Thursday. And Rick is so excited, and he was telling me about how, how this one place they're going to, the harvest seems to be so ripe because the last time they were there, there were like over 300 of these men in prison receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. And they're going to be going back to this same place and sharing the gospel again. And, and, and so we really need to be praying for these guys who will be leaving Thursday. As we speak, we have like three vanfuls of, of teenagers on their way to Tennessee on a mission trip. We need to pray for them. We had a group of people just get back from Dominican Republic. And also, as we speak, we have uh, a handful of people out in Montana at Vacation with a Purpose doing some missionary work out there. So just all kinds of great things going on. We wanted you to first know about that, but then let, let's, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you uh, for your grace in our lives. And, uh, Lord, we do pray for these men who are going on uh, this prison trip this Thursday, going to be sharing in uh, in prisons around Columbus, Ohio. We pray for uh, our our young people who are on their way to Tennessee right now for a week-long mission trip. We pray for uh, Larry Glineski and and the others who are uh, out in Montana and and serving and and doing all kinds of things out there uh, at a camp. And, uh, Father, we rejoice with those who just returned from Dominican Republic and some of the great stories we're already hearing of what you accomplished. And, and Lord, even for those of us who went to Honduras uh, a month or two back, Lord, we, uh, we just re- continue to rejoice in what you're accomplishing there in Honduras. And so, Father, we just thank you for the privilege of, of sharing your word and sharing your gospel. And so, Lord, as, as we look at this passage today and as we reflect on you who you are and ask ourselves has God really spoken and is the Bible really the word of God Lord help us to just lay this foundation afresh and to maybe even strengthen it and to realize that you are true and you are real and we can trust your word and Lord we ask that you would make it powerful and alive in our midst right now we ask it in Jesus name amen Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want us today to think about Scripture. What is the Bible? 
We think of it as one book, but really, you know, it's 66 books. 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. We call it Old Testament, New Testament. Really, we should be better called Old Covenant, New Covenant. The Old Covenant is made especially through Moses and the Israelites. The New Covenant made, of course, through Jesus Christ, claims to be the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. And in these 66 books are put together in such a way, and they tell an overarching story of what God has said and what he has done in the lives of people down through the centuries. And what some questions I want you to be struggling with and asking yourself right now is, what do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about Scripture? Is it really the Word of God? Can I really trust this Scripture, this Bible, to guide my life? Should I really let it be my authority and submit my heart and my life and my attitudes and my thoughts and my values to the Scripture? Or do I have the right, even though I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, might I actually have the right to say, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick and choose. There's parts of the Bible I like, parts of the Bible I don't like, so you know, I'll follow this, but I won't follow that. Do you and I actually have that right and that authority to do that sort of thing? I want you to be wrestling with this for the next few minutes as we unpack this Scripture. You see on your outline where I, I want to take us, I have, I have three questions for you this morning. What is Scripture? What does Scripture do? And how should we respond? What is Scripture? What does Scripture do, and how should we respond? First of all, let's look at what Scripture is, okay? What, what is Scripture? Look at the text again, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So what is Scripture? It's saying it is the Word of God. It is God's message to us. And notice, it's alive. It's not just print on a page or marks on your screen. God's message, God's Word is alive. It's active. The Greek word here is energes, where we get our word energy. It's energy. It's energetic. It's, it's powerful. It's active. It's, it's a living and moving. Now, now, maybe, just maybe... You're really sharp this morning. And you are, you are sitting there, and you're, just, you're awake, and you're sharp, and you're thinking, and you're looking at this. And now I know that's just a few of you. But you're really tracking with me, and you're looking at this verse. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged And you're looking at this, and you're saying, Oh, but Greg, Greg, look at this. When he talks about the Word of God, is he really talking about Scripture here? After all, whoever the author is, he's writing this at that moment, and and the book of Hebrews doesn't even exist completely yet because he's in the midst of writing it. And when he says the Word of God is alive and active, how could he be writing about exactly what he's writing at that moment? And In fact, at this time, 60-some A.D., a lot of the New Testament wasn't even written yet. So is he really talking about Scripture here? And I say, oh, I'm I'm glad. That's a great question. Because you, you were all thinking this, right? Weren't you all? Because you're so sharp. You're just so smart. That's all we have at CCC, right? 
is, is smart people. So you, you were tracking with me, and, and you were just asking this question, and it's a great question. And, and what I want you to do is look at the context. Look at the context here, because you should always look at context, because context is king. You can take anything, yank it out of its context, and make it say something that the original author did not intend. So context is king. You should always be looking at what comes before, what comes after, and what does this mean? What did the author originally mean? And so when you do that, if you take the time to look at it in its context, you'll realize that, that when he says the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two edges, what he's talking about is the message that God sent through Moses to the Israelites while they were wandering around in the desert. Remember that story back in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy? He says the Word of God, and he does this here in chapter 4, and he does it actually repeatedly in a variety of ways where he's comparing New Testament Christians to Old Testament Jewish people under Moses following him around the wilderness, listening to God and, and how the Word of God came to them and now how the Word of, through Moses and how the Word of God has now come to us through Jesus. And basically what he's saying is the Word of God, the Word of the Lord came to the Israelites through Moses and he said things like, I have now rescued you out of Egypt. I am your God. You are my people. Here are the Ten Commandments. Here are my rules. Here are my laws. Here is how I want you to live. I'm taking you to the promised land. This is what I want you to do. But the people of Israel disobeyed that word of God, and so they did not go into the promised land. You remember the story? For 40 years, that whole generation wandered around in the desert till that whole generation of adults died off and their children came of age and then God took the children who are now adults into the promised land. And Hebrews makes that parallel here in chapter 4 and, and, and he says if, if the word of God came to the Israelites and they, they didn't obey and because of their disobedience they did not get into the promised land, how much more will you and I as hearers of the word of God about Jesus Christ the Messiah, who's much greater than Moses, how, how are we going to ever make it into the promised land if we neglect him and, and harden our hearts and if we disobey him? That's what he's talking about here. So you're, you're exactly right. In the context here, Hebrews 4.12 is not directly referring to the whole Bible, to all of Scripture. After all, much of the New Testament was not written yet, but... I am saying to you that it is an accurate extension to say that what he says here applies to the whole Bible. Because when you look at it and you study other passages and look at how the Bible developed, the, the Bible contains what God has spoken. The Bible is a record of what God has said and done through Moses and through Jesus especially. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. See, all Scripture, all Scripture comes from God's mouth, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you, when you study how, how the, the Bible came about and how the early Christians, the early church, very early on, they, they received the authority of the apostles 
as, as the Word of God. And so whenever the apostles and those close to them wrote things down and, and, and taught them about God, they received it as the Word of God. And, and this came to be what we now call our New Testament. And, of course, it was added to the Old Testament. And so this is how we, we have the Bible. So I think it is fair and it is accurate to say that when, when you ask yourself, what is Scripture, you can say, Scripture is the Word of God. It is the record of God's message to us. And you could say, in fact, it's interesting. I was talking with Ron Kaminsky earlier the, this morning out in the Connection Center, and he brought up this phrase, and I said, where'd you get that? And he said, in one of my reading, and I thought, this is so cool how God speaks, because I'm going to use the same phrase uh, in an illustration here. He said that, that the Bible is God's love letter to us. And, and that's what I encourage you to look at it. The, the Bible, Scripture, is God's love letter to us. Maybe an illustration here will, will help us. Just yesterday, just yesterday, Sandy and I celebrated 39 years of marriage. 39. I, I'm still trying to get my mind around that. 39 years of marriage. And we got married when we were 19. So I'll let you do the math. And we dated for a couple of years even before that. And after we graduated from high school and we weren't married yet, I went off to Anderson College. So I leave Sandy in western Pennsylvania, and I'm going to Anderson College at the time, now Anderson University, in Anderson, Indiana. So we're separated during my freshman year. And in 1978, 1979, there were no cell phones. There, there was no internet, you know, that was public access kind of thing. And so we only had one uh, public phone uh, on, our, on my floor, third floor Smith. And so we would only rarely call each other. And back then, long distance cost money. How many of you remember when it would cost you money to, to talk long distance? It still does, but they put it in the whole package now and, and, and all of that. But, but I, so what we did was we wrote each other letters almost every day throughout my freshman year at Anderson. We, I would write a letter to her. She would write a letter to me. And I'll never forget the first week, the very first week of being at Anderson. Almost every day, every day I, would, I was anxious to go to the post office there on campus. And sure enough, there would be a letter from Sandy. And I would take it up into my room, and I would read it. And it's handwritten and have all these little cute pictures on it, and I love you and, and all this stuff. And it might be five pages long. And I'm reading it. And, you know, and, and because this was a word from Sandy. This is the word of Sandy. And, and, I, and I'm, just, I'm just like, whoa. You know, and, and, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. I wrote a letter to her every day too. But for some reason, still unknown, probably never find out, they got held up in the mail. So day one, she didn't get a letter from me. Day two, she didn't get a letter from me. Day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. I think eight days. Seven days went by. But then on the eighth day, all the letters showed up at once. And, and during that time, she was, she was crying, and she was thinking I had already forgotten about her and already dating somebody else and, you know, just worried that it was all over. Now, she never told me that, but her mother did. Sandy wouldn't admit that she was crying and going to miss me, you know, but, 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 but her mother told me that. And so all my letters, you know, like eight letters show up suddenly all together, and she's so happy, and she's reading, reading through all this. And, and I tell you, 
we kept those letters for several years. I, I think we've thrown them away. I hope we've thrown them away. In fact, I, I got to go home and just double check because I tell you what, it, it would be so embarrassing if you would read anything in those letters. Just, you know, oh, babe, I love you. It is, it's so mushy, so good. I just, so, I just, <laughs> but, but we were just so in love. And we wrote each other letters uh, just about every day that, that whole semester and, and the next semester as well. And then we got married uh, the following summer. Now, here's my point. And this is, illustration is not perfect because there's a difference, but it's a little bit like this. My letters were my words. You, you could say a word from Greg, the word of Greg to her. And her letters were the word of Sandy to me. And I would sit in my college dorm room and I would pour over her words and the word of Sandy. And I so looked forward to it. I would read the letter and reread the letter, and she would read and reread mine. And I had the word of Sandy. But, but that later, that, the next year, the next summer, we got married, and suddenly those letters became totally unimportant, totally irrelevant. I didn't need those letters anymore because now I had Sandy. I don't need the word of Sandy in these letters because now I have Sandy. Now listen, the Bible is a bit like that. Right now, you and I do not see God face to face. We do not see God, uh, we do not see Jesus in person, but we have the word of God. We have the word of Jesus. We have his letter. The Bible is his love letters written to us, and they're so valuable. And we should give this love letter from God all the honor, all the respect, all the obedience that it deserves because he's God, and it's his truth, and it's his expression of love and truth given to us, so we should pour over his love letters to us. But I tell you, one day is coming when we're going to see God face to face. We're going to be with him and see Jesus face to face. And suddenly, we're not going to need the Bible anymore. You're not going to have to read the Bible anymore because you're going to have God close and personal. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. But I said, now, it's not an exact parallel because it's a bit different because the Word of God even now, the written Word of God, it's alive and it's active. That is, when you and I read the Bible... God is also present through His Holy Spirit. And when you read the Scripture, you are doing much more than like just reading another book. You're doing much more than just reading words on a page or marks on a screen. Because when you're reading this record of God's Word and what He says to, to people and to you, God is alive and He is active and He is present. And He, he can enter into you and transform you and change you right now. So it's not an exact parallel. but So it's fair to say that the Bible is the Word of God. It's alive. It's energetic. Now, the second question, what does Scripture do? What is Scripture? It's the Word of God. And it's, it, it's alive and it's active. But what does it do? Let's look at it again, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Look at this. God's Word, what does it do? It cuts. It's meant to penetrate you. 
right down into your bones, right down into your soul, right down into your heart. It's supposed to cut you. See, reading the Bible is dangerous because it's more than print on a page. It's, it's alive. It's active. And it will cut you. Our culture says, well, you know, I have to follow my heart. You know, I, I just, I have to follow my heart. I have to follow my own thoughts. And so when I read the Bible, I'm going to be judge over the Bible. I will decide what I like and what I don't like. I will pick and choose what I will follow, what I won't follow. And I am the judge. I am the sword. I hold the sword in my hand, and I can kind of cut parts of the Bible out that I don't like, and I, and I can cut and paste, and, and I can come up with my own thoughts about who God is and what's right and what's wrong and all this. And God says, no, 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 no. The truth is your heart is deceptive. Your heart is so contaminated with sin that morally and, and spiritually and emotionally and in every way, you messed up. And you don't see reality clearly. If you follow your heart, your heart is going to lead you astray. You need the Word of God to judge your heart. Don't adjust the Bible to fit your thoughts and your attitudes. You need to, to adjust your thoughts and your attitudes to what God's Word says. See, the purpose of the Bible is not for you to stand over it and judge it, but you are to submit unto its authority and allow God's Word to cut you and judge you. Because God's cutting and God's judging is never condemnatory with a view to harming you, but it's done with a view to heal you, like a surgeon who says, man, you got some cancer in here, and I got to cut you. I got to get this out, and, and I'm going to heal you. You'll be better if you let me do this surgery on you. This is, this is what God wants to do on you and me and on our hearts. So what's our proper response? As we read Scripture, we should be opening up our hearts, opening up our minds, and, and humbly saying, God, I know I don't have this all figured out. I know that all my thoughts are not aligned with your thoughts, and I know my heart, I know it's wicked, and I know that it can pull me astray and, and make me want to do all kinds of other things, but Lord, cut me. Cut out this wickedness. Cut out this waywardness. Penetrate down deep inside of me, God. Transform me. Heal me. Heal me. Give me your life. You're, you're alive. You're active. Lord, give me your life. This is how we should respond to Scripture. Verse 14, Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That's how you respond. You grab a hold of God's Word and you hold on to the faith that we, we profess. Hold on, you grab it. Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Underscore that verse. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. 
You stay focused on God's Word. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to God's Word? Or are you going to listen to the Word of someone else? I, I read an article just uh, this last week or so, and it's called Six Questions College Students Must Be Ready to Answer. Six questions college students must be ready to answer. It says, the research is clear. One of the best ways to prepare students to sustain their faith throughout college is to force them to answer hard questions. While some apologetics are timeless, the word apologetic simply means a defense of the faith, an explanation. It doesn't mean apology, but it means an explanation, defending what you believe. He says, while some apologetics are timeless, it's vital for churches and parents to monitor the most prominent current questions and challenges Christians face on college campuses today. So do you know what are some of the major challenges and questions and hot-button topics on college campuses across the country today? He says, students must be armed with at least six apologetics to be ready to answer the hardest questions they'll face from professors as well as fellow students. And he, he lists these six and, and says something short about each of them. Let, let me just, just run them off for you. One, one question you need to be able to answer is, did Jesus literally rise from the dead? He says, when you go onto a college campus, you will be challenged by professors, by, by students, you know, like, oh, you follow Jesus? Really? I mean, you know, he didn't rise from the dead. You know, that's a bunch of mythology, right? I mean, how would you respond to that? Do you, do you have any reasonable answer why a thinking, intelligent person today would believe that Jesus actually, literally rose from the dead? Can you engage someone in a conversation about that? Secondly, how was the Bible formed? How was the Bible formed? This gets back to what I was just even talking about a little bit ago. How do you know how these 66 books came to be in what we call the Bible? Why were they included? Why were some others not? There's so much misinformation out there. So do you, do you have any reason to answer to it? Is your kid going to go off to college and somebody says, well, you know, the Bible, it, it was just all put together politically and, and, and uh, Emperor Constantine and it was all politics and, you know, the Gospel of Thomas and, and all this and, and all these other. And, so, and, and then your young person starts to lose faith because they think the Bible is, is not really the Word of God. Did Jesus literally rise from the dead? How was the Bible formed? The third question is, is every word of Scripture authoritative? Or do you have the ability to pick and choose? I mean, what's wrong with, okay, I'm a Christ follower, I believe in Him, but you know, I believe the Bible is not really the Word of God, it's just the Word of men. And, 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 and so, you know, they were wrong about some things, and so, you know, generally I, I believe the Bible, but I don't believe this, I don't agree with that, so I can kind of cut and paste, pick and choose. Is it okay to do that sort of thing? And fourth question is, what is marriage? What is marriage? Big hot button, you know, for the last more than a decade now. What is marriage? Is there really a God who created us male and female and, in, and intended marriage to be a reflection of Him and even of the Trinity? And, and, or, or, or is marriage just a man-made construct and we can do with it whatever we want? A fifth question. Why does the Bible prohibit eating shellfish? Now, some of you barely giggled on that. 
But it's supposed to be humorous. Because it, it, but what it does, it points us to a very serious issue. Because the Old Testament has all kinds of teachings in it, like don't eat shellfish, and don't eat this, and do this. And we don't obey most of those Old Testament rules. And somebody could come up to us and accuse us of being inconsistent or illogical. Well, yo, you're a Bible. It's full of stuff you don't obey. And how come you obey this and you don't obey that? And Deuteronomy says this and Leviticus says that. And do you have any kind of reasoned response to why we do what we do and why we believe the Bible is really the Word of God? And then a sixth question is where does gender come from? This is the current hot button, isn't it? Where does gender come from? Did you know that a growing trend on campuses is to regard gender as a fluid reality that a person can adjust on any given day? There's a private college out east where the professors are required to ask their students at least three times per semester what pronoun they would like to be called. Because the belief is that gender is fluid and I might change my gender sometime throughout that semester. So we have to ask ourselves, as Christ followers, who do we listen to? Do I believe the Bible is the Word of God and it speaks truth into my life? Am I going to listen to the Word of God or am I going to listen to the latest talk show host? Am I going to listen to the Word of God or am I going to listen to a popular professor at some university? Am I going to listen to the Word of God or am I going to stand in judgment over that Word and say, I will decide what's right and wrong. I will pick and choose. See, here's the question I want you to answer today. Bottom line, who is your ultimate authority? Who are you going to listen to? Do you believe the Bible is God's Word or not? Who are you going to listen to? And there are some people today who are listening to everybody except God. You'll listen to anybody except God's Word. And you know, if you're wrestling with these kinds of questions, I respect that. I get that. We should be wrestling with this. I wrestle with this stuff. I'm always reading and trying to stay up to date and, and hearing the latest arguments from all sides and, and all this kind of thing about, you know, as Christ followers, what should we believe about Scripture? And what do we think about gender? And what do we think about marriage? And what do we, all, all these things. I know it's challenging. And so we have to give each other grace, but we also have to be encouraging and challenging each other to, to not be lazy, but in fact to think these things through. So when, when someone challenges you, you have a reasoned response. You have a good apologetic. You can explain to them and defend why you believe what you believe. Who will you listen to? Who is your authority? Who will you trust? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we, we see what Scripture is. It's your word. Lord, help us to realize that you have spoken. You are a living God, and you have spoken. And you have given us your word. 
And help us to see that and believe that. And help us to see that the purpose of Scripture is to cut us and judge us and heal us and give us life. Lord, forgive us for so easily falling into a temptation where we want to be the judge and we want to hold the sword and we want to cut your word and we want to cut and paste and put it all together so that we can create a nice comfortable God and and create nice comfortable teachings that fit what we think it ought to be. But Lord, help us to humble ourselves and realize that you're so much greater and that oftentimes your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways and we are the ones who need to do the adjusting. Help us to listen to you. Only your word is alive and active. Only your word can heal us and give us life. Help us to believe that. Help us to live that. And all God's people say, amen. Hey, if you want someone to pray with you or talk with you, I'll be down front. Some of our prayer warriors will be down front. Love to to talk with you, pray for you. Uh, If you're new here and kind of want to investigate a little bit or ask about next steps, encourage you to go out to Starting Point. You'll see a banner out in the Connection Center. Go over there. Someone from our staff will be there, talk to you there. Uh, Keep in prayer uh, our groups in Montana and in Tennessee and the the ministry guys, uh, prison ministry guys this Thursday. Uh, Be in prayer for, for all the people that are on mission this week. Have a great week, everybody. See you next Sunday.